Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Nation Minnesota Twins podcast with me, Cooper Carlson, and my co-host, Andrew Gibo. Today we will be discussing the recent Milwaukee and Kansas City t- series between them and the Minnesota Twins. Byron Buxton's recent hot streak, we will do our weekly segment of worried or, whatever, worried or Whatever, and near the end we will rank our top three Minnesota Twins starters based on who we would trust in the playoffs right now. Like, who would be our top three? So, Andrew, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Cooper. How are you? I'm great. Ready to talk some Minnesota Twins. Much better than last week, which was just like, I think they didn't. Did they win a game last week? They did, right? At least one. Yeah, they were one and five right, over their last six. And I think what now they're, they're four and two over their last six. So it's just kind of a, a testament of how quickly things can change in baseball. And, you know, we talked about it last week and wasn't overly concerned about being swept by the Brewers. Yes, it was unfortunate. You would have liked to see them take that series. But this is baseball, and you're going to have stretches like that, and the Twins came out of that, and now they're, they're playing better baseball, kind of what we, what we had all expected, and they had a good series against Kansas City and Milwaukee. For sure, yeah. They were swept by the Royals, but it is what it is. Because we, we kind of went and said, we don't have to worry much. I think they'll be all right, and here they are, 14-8, and eight, still a game in first place ahead of Cleveland. The rest of the teams have kind of fallen. Well, not fallen off, because three games isn't fallen off, but in 60 games, that's a lot different. So, yeah. Twins are looking fine. They're doing all right. And to get right into the first thing here, the Milwaukee series that they played over the weekend, the first one since we last recorded on Sunday, they took two of three, winning the first game four to two, losing the next one four to six. Then, and then the final one was when the bats really broke out. They finally got to a lefty all offseason. Twins fans are kind of saying they have these right-hand power hitters. They'll get to a lefty every single one. But then Dallas Keuchel came out game two and shut the Twins down. That was just kind of ironic, but... Yeah, they finally did that, scored 12 runs, and they look good over the series. It was a fun one. Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, one thing that kind of stood out in the first two games is is all of the runs the Twins had scored. They scored a combined eight runs in the first two games, all of which came on the long ball. And then in that in game three of that series, yeah, they in one inning, they put up five runs without a single home run. And so it was nice to, to see the Twins be able to put runs on the board without being so reliant on the home run. I know kind of their identity is the home runs, right, the Bomba squad, but you still have to be kind of versatile in how you score runs. And, and they showed that they, they can still do that in that last game against Milwaukee. Granted, they still hit home runs. Byron Buxton hit two, and Miguel Sano hit one to Mars. But they, you know, they showed that they can score runs that way. And it was good to see. And it was just nice to see this team kind of bounce back and have that offensive outburst and and take care of business in Milwaukee and take two out of three. And then so far against the Kansas City series, you know, it's being a wraparound series. So it's not done yet. They have the game tomorrow night, but they've played well. You know, they had the double header and they they split that. And that's that's okay. It's, It's kind of unrealistic to expect a double header sweep. Those are rare. 
You take one or two out of there, they win today, they're in good shape, or win tomorrow, and they take the series. At worst, they split it. They're still in great shape. Absolutely. So after the Milwaukee series, they did have an off day. Then, of course, they were rained out for game one of the Kansas City series. So they had two off days in a row right before the stretch of, I think, 22 games in a row. So, but yeah, the doubleheader twins had Oda Rizzi and Barrios. Oda Rizzi pitched really well in the first game. But as we all know by now, Barrios did not. And he once again struggled, just didn't have his stuff out there. After the game, his ERA was around six. And it was the fourth worst out of qualified starters. So... It's we're pretty well into the season here, and he's not looking any better. Really, he's he's had a couple of good games, but just nothing really. He's not he's not looking like an ace, obviously, or even a number two at this point. I mean, it's looking like the fourth worst pitcher in baseball statistically. It's no good. Right, and we'll get into this later when we rank sure. our rotations. But I'm not going to go on a limb right now and, and say Barrios is one of the fourth worst starting pitcher in nah. baseball. <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah. Statistics, his ERA says so. He's not looking good, but the talent is obviously still there. It's just, it'd be great if he could put it together one of these days because it's not been there at all. But yeah, they've taken two of three. Fourth game tomorrow, when you're listening to this, it'll be, the fourth game will be that day. So yeah, hopefully they can take three of four and get revenge on Kansas City. And then we get Milwaukee again next, right, at home? Yes, and then Kansas City okay. again. <laughs> Weird schedule. It goes, yeah, Kansas City, Milwaukee, Kansas City, Milwaukee, Kansas City. And then we're done with Kansas City and Milwaukee. So I don't know who put that together, but it should be fun. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So moving on to just talking about uh, Byron Bucks, and he kind of broke out these last couple series. He's hit, I think, what was it, three or four homers. He's at, I think, five now, and he's hitting the ball hard every time. He hit a couple to the, like, warning track today. I thought one of them was gone. But nope, caught at the wall. But he's been looking great. He went over four today, but still hit the ball hard. And he's he's looking like the Byron Bucks, and you could potentially break out and be the star we've been waiting for for the last four or five years now. It's good to see. Exactly, and then that's kind of exactly where I'm at with Byron right now. Is, is what we're seeing from Bucks, and it's like, okay, is is this finally the guy that? We'd all been expecting is he, is he finally reaching that potential of, you know, when he was number one or number two overall prospect in baseball, he's got every tool in the world. He's got elite speed, elite defense. He's got an absolute cannon, like which we saw on display in the Kansas city series. And he's got the bat and if the bat can just come around and he can be a, a solid hitter. You're looking at probably one of the top five most exciting players in baseball. So it's it's really fun to, to see Byron really start to break out like this. He is still only 26 years old, so he's not you know old by any stretch. He's entering his prime, and it's really exciting to, to see what he can continue to do. And as long as he can stay healthy, I think what we're seeing right now in 2020 is a real Byron Buxton. We saw flashes of this a little bit in 2019 before he got hurt. So, again, stay healthy, yeah. keep doing what he's doing. And, and the Minnesota Twins, they have one of the top five most exciting players in baseball right now. Absolutely. When he's on and when he's got all the tools working, he's not injured. Like, even right now, he says he's still got a, a little foot thing. But, I mean, his speed ranks, like, in the top 1% in the league. It's insane. Like, you're hurt, but you can do that. It's weird. He's obvious, as he said, one of the just most exciting players in baseball. And if, if he can keep it all together, he... I'm sur- I mean, one of these years, he's got to start getting MVP votes. Just He's so talented, you'd think. But maybe this Absolutely. will be the year. Yeah. And, and it's really nice to see, you know, I guess kind of the, 
conventional wisdom or your your baseball purists or old school approach is, is to look at a guy like Byron and say, put the ball on the ground, you know, and, and spray right. the ball, get singles, steal bases. And, and it's really nice to see that the twins aren't limit, limiting him to that. They're allowing Byron to to swing the bat, to drive the ball, hit the ball in the gap, hit the ball over the fence. And, and if a guy like Byron with his his tools is able to get the ball in the gap, a routine doubles a triple for him. For and, sure. and, and so it's just nice to see that, you know, he's given the freedom to just barrel the ball up, swing the bat, drive it. Don't just try to choke up and, and spray the ball, hit the ball on the ground, use your legs to beat it out. That that would completely limit his his ability. And it's again, it's just nice to see the twins aren't limiting him in that capacity. Absolutely. And people forget, like, because we, all we've seen of him is his speed and he hasn't hit much in the majors and. But in the minors, he was just an excellent hitter. Like, he'd hit around 300. He'd be in the th- three-hole. We'd be going, this is going to be the leadoff hitter for the you know, next 10, 15 years for the Twins. He's going to just be great. But people forget he's like he can hit the ball. And when he does hit it on the ground, he has a great chance of beating it out. But he can also exactly. hit it in the gap and get a triple. Like, he can do eat both. One Or, or hit two thing. home runs in one right, game. Right, exactly, exactly. One thing I noticed while looking stuff up before the show, he has a 273 on base percentage and a 1.8 walk percentage, which is extremely low in the bottom 5% of the league. A bit concerning there. He has a career high hard hit percentage, but he's not walking at all. I don't know if you're concerned about that, but maybe something to look out for. That is a little concerning. I think it also has to do with kind of where he's hitting in the lineup. That's true. Um, and, and this is another thing, too. I think well, this has been kind of a hot topic around the Twins for a number of years since Buxton has you know, broken into the big leagues is when is he going to hit higher in the order? And, and I understand maybe yeah. wanting to keep him down, keep the pressure off him. But with the way he's swinging the bat right now and, and for the large part how the Twins offense is still kind of sputtering, it makes sense to get this guy up in the order a little bit, uh, hit him in the top three to kind of just generate some sort of offense at the top of your lineup. Get him on base, help him set you know set the table, but he's he's hitting fine where he is, and they're still winning. So it's not like an urgent thing. It just it would be nice to see his production at the top of the lineup right now. And I think with that, if it might increase his on base percentage as well. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, we brought this up a bit. It's a good point. And over the years, the Twins have just said we're going to keep him in the nine hole, the eight hole, just to keep his confidence there. We got to. Make sure he's comfortable. Don't want to put too much pressure on him. But you're right. Eventually, he's supposed to be the superstar player. I mean, and when he's hitting well, try moving him up, especially with the Twins team that isn't hitting nearly as well as we thought. Like, you you mentioned this, but put him second, first, I don't know, third, just for a couple games. Like, experiment with it. Why not? You're, they've, they've shown that they don't care a ton about the regular season. They kind of know they're going to make the playoffs, this Twins team. So just... Experiment with them a little. Why not? Exactly. Just get that spark plug there on the top of your lineup. Get some activity on the bases. Get a guy with speed. You know, when you've got guys like Eddie Rosario or Nelson Cruz, Miguel Sano hitting behind him, you don't necessarily need speed because if he hits a ball in the gap and Byron's on second, anyone's really going to score from second on a ball in the gap. Yeah, but just, sure. just having that that presence on base at the top of your lineup, that's going to help everyone else in the lineup. You know, let's just say whether it's it's Nelson Cruz or Rosario or, or Miguel Sano, and you got Byron Buxton on first base, everyone's worried about Byron Buxton stealing the base. So they're less likely to throw a curveball, a slider, a changeup. You're going to get a more of a heavy dose of fastballs with a fast runner 
because a fastball gives the catcher a better opportunity to, to throw the runner out. And so with Buxton on first base, that's probably going to mean more fastballs for the guy in the box. And so, again, if you have a power hitter in the box and you're getting a fastball-heavy approach from the pitcher, that's going to be a good combination. So why not put him there, get him on base, set the rest of your lineup up, and just see if we can jump start the offense a little bit. Yeah, so this podcast is now officially on the move Byron Buxton up in the lineup train. So join in on that, that one. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen eventually, I'm telling you. So, yeah, moving on there, last thing to happen in the Kansas City series until tomorrow. This might even carry over a bit. Who knows? That'd be fun. Uh, baseball's always fun. There's a little tension. But at the end of the game today, when Sergio Romo struck out Jorge Soler, he did his usual screaming, doing front flips, back flips, cartwheels when he wins the game and fist pump in the air. And apparently the Royals didn't like that very much because with an empty stadium, you can hear everything he's saying. And when I listened back on the audio of him striking out, it sounded like um, Romo said either keep talking or like stop talking, kind of like shut up, I'm better than you. And he was. He struck all three of them out easily. But the Royals didn't like it much. They don't like that Sergio Romo embarrassed their two, three, and four hitter. And now they're really mad at him. So it's interesting. And they can just hush up about that. Sergio Romo's <laughs> been doing this since 2008. Exactly. I mean, for 12 years, Romo's been doing the same celebration after every time he closes out a game. Sergio Romo's accomplished more in the game of baseball than that entire Kansas City roster has done combined. So just, just if you're Kansas City, take the L and, and, and keep moving. Romo's going to be Romo. He beat you. He beat the heart of your lineup. He struck out the side to end the game. What, what are you mad about besides the fact that you <laughs> suck? Well, that's exactly what they're mad about. you got to take your anger out somewhere. And I guess it was yelling at Sergio Romo, who was happy about being better than them. It was weird. It was kind of overblown. Rocco Baldelli said at the end of the game, he, wasn't sh- he was like, I'm not really sure what they're mad about, but if they want to be mad, they can settle that with us, I guess. So and, maybe it'll and, carry and, over tomorrow. And if they retaliate tomorrow and, and hit a Twins player, that's just that's terrible. Oh, absolutely. You're going you're gonna to retaliate and drill somebody because you're mad that you couldn't hit a 75-mile-an-hour Frisbee slider? <laughs> Maybe you should just be better. It'd make for some exciting watching and all that, but, yeah, it'd be kind of stupid on their part. Yeah, I, agree. I don't know. But that's there. Figured we'd talk about that a bit. Moving on to something. Well, I guess I said at the beginning this is going to be at the end, but it's actually at the top. We're going to rank the rotation. It's, you know. So if we're going to give our top three, if, if the playoff series right now, who would we want pitching game one, two, and three? So you want to start this off? I do. All right, let's get it going. There's going to be some controversy from this. Yeah. So my top three right now is going to be Maeda, Odorizzi, and Barrios. I understand Barrios has had his struggles. He's got an ERA near five right now. He's at 5.92. The thing is, is, is Jose Barrios right now in 2020, the man's made five starts. He's throwing 24 innings. So it's hard to look at that and say that's who Jose Barrios is. When you look throughout his career, Jose Barrios has been, has been a, a good pitcher. He hasn't been this elite-level ace that we've all expected, but he's been a very good, consistently good major league pitcher. And a lot of the conversations on Randy Dobnak, and I love what Randy Dobnak's doing. And Matthew Lenz, he, uh, another fellow writer at Twins Daily, he wrote an article kind of detailing about Randy Dobnak and pointing out the fact that he's pitched well, but he's also pitched against some really poor teams. And I'm not so confident that I would want Randy Dobnak taking the mound in a decisive game three 
against a playoff team right now. He doesn't have the career track record where I can feel completely confident in him taking the bump. Whereas with Jose Barrios, even though he struggled through five stars to begin 2020, there's more of a track record of success with Jose Barrios. So I would rather him take the mound over Randy Dobnak. Maybe you have Dobnak in the pen if Barrios struggles early. But if, and again, if it is not the case, it's a hypothetical. But if we mm-hmm. were going into a postseason series tomorrow, my rotation is Maeda, Odorizzi, and Barrios for a three-game series. Yeah, I see that. Of course, in a real rotation, Barrios is probably put at the top of it just because talent-wise and all that. But hypothetically, right now, I'm not putting Jose Barrios in my top three. Right now, I've got Kenta Maeda, Randy Dobnak, Jake Odorizzi. And just to be sure, you did have Maeda as number one as, as well. Yeah, yeah, Maeda, Odorizzi, okay. and Barrios is my one to right. three right now. So right now, I'm going Randy Dobnak in the two spot because... Simply, I'm giving it to the hot hand. He goes, he can, he's proven at least this year and last year as well, except for the one playoff game. He can go out, give you five, five to six innings, two run ball, get five strikeouts, do his job. He can do it well. Odor, or not Odor, is he? Jose Barrios this year, I would absolutely not put him in a playoff game right now. He has been awful. I'm not, there's no way around it. He's not been good. I'm not going to put him in a playoff series right now when Randy Dobnak has proven this year that he's just the better pitcher so far. Obviously, talent-wise, Brios has probably got the edge on him. And that's, there's really no argument there. But so far in the season, Randy Dobnak and his 1.40 ERA are who I want on the hill in game two of a playoff series after Kenta Maeda. And that makes total sense. I mean, Randy Dobnak's throwing the ball well. It's, it's hard to argue against putting Dobnak out there right now if the postseason started tomorrow. But like you had touched on, just in terms of pure talent and even career track record, I just feel more confident with Jose Barrios taking the mound than I do Randy Dobnak, especially in the postseason. Uh, I'm not sure who they would be against in the first sure. round if it was a start today. It may be like the you know the Royal, the Orioles, which at that point doesn't really matter who we're sending out. But I just feel more confident with Jose Barrios right now taking the mound in a postseason game. I mean, you look at what happened to Dobnak when he started last year against the Yankees. He didn't throw terrible, but he didn't throw very well either and again yeah, I mean, he Dobnak, he he's, he's beat a lot of weak hitting teams and so it's just it's really hard to say that like i fully believe that randy dobnak is this top of the rotation guy who's going to take the mound for you in game two of a playoff series it's a fun story love watching a pitch <laughs> love what he's doing love rooting for the guy i, I just don't know if i want to hand the ball in game two of the postseason in the best of three postseason series i suppose but it's just jose barrios for me i would i probably wouldn't even rank him i'd have him fifth right now i'd have rich hill ahead of him he's no i have zero confidence in him like i know he can do it he's last year he was good he's been good through his career he's been all right never the ace we thought he would be never the number one he's always been the number two and this year he has just fallen apart so far through five games and it's just if you look at his stat cast page the uh the stats it gives you right at the beginning. It used to be all red throughout. Now it's everything is blue. He's in the bottom fifteen percent, and for a lot of the stuff, he's usually in the you know top thirty percent of. It's just he's having a horrible year, and I could there's no way I can throw him out there for a right. It's just game the right thing now. is with, with Barrios, and we'll touch on this later in our weekly worried or whatever sure, sure. segment. <laughs> it's, it's just through five starts. 
and, right. and every, everything is but so no, heavily it's... magnified because of the shortened season. Exactly. You know, five poor starts to start a season in a regular year, you kind of shrug it off. And that's sort of where I am right now with Barrios. Yeah, but in a 60-game season, you kind of can't shrug it off because we're a third of the way through a season and he's there's no sign of him really turning it around. None of the you know, advanced statistics or outlying like ones that you look at and go, well, he should be doing better here. Prove that he's going to pick it up. Right. Except the only thing that's gotten better is fastball velocity, but his command has just been way off. He's walking guys. He's just not striking out as much. Nothing's going well for Barrios this year. And Randy Dobnak has, <laughs> I mean, I love the story too, but soon it's not a story anymore and it's just reality. Like he's been really good and there's no way around that. He's been great. And, He's been he's really faced, good he's, against really bad he's faced teams. Bad, he's been really good against really bad teams. Maybe he'd just be, you know, good against a good team, but that's much better than what I think Barrios can give you right now. Yeah, again, I'm going to have to disagree with you there, man. I'm going to have to just go with Stanley man. Barrios and what he's done throughout his career. And just, I feel more confident right now giving the ball to Jose Barrios against a playoff team than I do Randy Dobnak, just given talent level and what he's done throughout his career. And he hasn't thrown in a lot of big games, just given the nature that he plays for the Minnesota Twins. But <laughs> when Jose Barrios has taken the mound in a big game, he's, he's arrived. He's stepped up to the moment, and he's thrown the ball well. And there's a track record for it. And so going into a postseason mm. series, I'm going to hand the ball over to Barrios before I give the ball to Dobnak. If Barrios struggles early, get Dobnak going. But to start the game, I'm going to have to go with Barrios. Oh, man. I'm still going to – I don't think we're going to come to an agreement here, but I just I – I have so little confidence in Brios right now. Every year with him, it's been, all right, this is the year he's going to be the ace. This is the year he's going to be the number one. And it just hurts even more in 2020 that he's just – he's not good. He's just – hasn't been good. Maybe he will be. Maybe he'll pick it up soon, and I'll be proved proven wrong. But right now, it doesn't look like it. I have no faith in him picking it up right now. It's just – and I would not throw him out there for a playoff game. Absolutely not. He'd go three innings, give up four and runs, and look horrible the whole time. I don't know. I can't do it. I guess that's the beauty of the postseason not starting tomorrow. This Belios has got he's got some time to, <laughs> yeah, to get this if, figured out. And when the postseason does start, perhaps it's a different conversation. But again, it's, it's, just, it's right. hard to to fully commit to Dobnak right now. I love what he's doing, but it, you know, for show sure. me a little bit more. Do this against good teams. And, and Barrios has at least proven the ability to pitch effectively against good teams in, in big moments. But not and this year. He hasn't had a good game. I mean, he has this year. Five starts. Yeah, well, he's had two big – he's had two starts in big games. So he's had more starts this year than big game starts. So <laughs> I don't know. The sample size for his big games is not very large either. Right, he's throwing maybe like what two or three in his career. I think it's been, I think it's been the wild card game in seventeen, and then last year's playoff game. Yeah, and it is. It's. it's I wouldn't call this necessarily like a big game, but I think for Jose personally, the start that he had in Puerto Rico and was it twenty eighteen? Sure. Yeah, that's true. That was he a big game pitch for him. Very well he there. pitched really well that series, and, and so Barrios has at least just shown the ability to to rise to the occasion and, and to pitch well in, in in big moments and the limited sample size we have for that. And, and, and that's, that's the biggest thing. Is like I want to put Dobnak on this list. I love Randy Dobnak. But he just doesn't, for me at least, just, he doesn't have the career track record 
where I can say like I feel completely confident in sending him out on the mound in a in a an elimination postseason game right now. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm not saying I'd be a hundred percent confident. I'm just more confident in 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 him than current Jose Barrios, who has done nothing. I can't do it. He's just been so bad, and I'm getting tired of every year going with Barrios. This year is going to do it, and him just not showing up. It's yeah, I'm. I really hope he can pick it up. I'm a Barrios. I'm a Barrios fan, but this year it's just been a letdown, and maybe I'm just letting my ang my uh, frustration out on this segment. But I would not put him in my top three. That's fair. I guess we'll see how Rocco feels come postseason time. <laughs> if Jose Barrios is not in the top three come real postseason time, then something has gone horribly wrong. Because I think he has to be. But we're gonna move on here. But not before I do a quick ad break. So we'll be back after this pause. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right. We are back with our weekly segment of Worried or Whatever. And the three this week... We'll be, well, we'll be touching on Jose Barrios, which we've already done quite a bit this podcast, but we'll touch on him a bit. Josh Donaldson and his calf injury that is seemingly just the timeline's been extended even more. And then Luisa Rise, who has not been hitting the ball as well, striking out more and just not looking as good as he did last year, which would, would be hard to do either way, but his OPS is like 630. So we'll be touching on those three and we'll start with Jose Barrios. What should we touch on here that we haven't already talked about? Yeah, I think with Brios, again, going back, you know, it, it's been five starts. And the reason why, okay, right now, I'm, saying, I'm a whatever on Brios. There's some concern with the inconsistency in his, in his command, but it's not like we're talking about a guy who's in his 30s and is starting to decline. Jose Brios is still 26 years old. He's still in his prime. He's going through a rough patch right now, and I feel confident that he's going to get it together. And we're going to see more of who Jose Barrios has been like throughout his career. It's just he struggled early on. His fastball velocity is up and the command's down. And I think, and this is even before this year, sometimes when you watch Barrios, especially on his two seamer and with his breaking ball, it's got a lot of movement to it. And I think sometimes Jose doesn't necessarily always know where the ball's going to go. And when he gets himself into trouble is when he tries to be too fine. And, and, and paint that two-seam fastball on the outside black. And he can't really control that movement. So I would like to just see Jose Barrios just bear down, basically aim this thing down the middle and just let it break naturally. Let it run in on a right-handed hitter. Let it break away from a lefty. Let the movement take care of itself and don't try to be perfect with it. And if Barrios can kind of make that adjustment and just attack hitters, Focus on throwing strikes. Let the ball move naturally. We're going to see a much different Jose Barrios. And we're going to get to that point eventually in 2020. So I'm not overly worried about five bad starts to start the year. Oh, man. we That was right there. It was five years of Kyle Gibson talk. He's trying to be too fine. He's trying to paint it. Just let it do what it's going to do, and you'll be fine. 
Oh, jeez, that's flashback. But Kyle right Gibson there. doesn't have the stuff that Jose Barrios does. That's true. He would. Kyle Gibson. He did have. He was first round talents, but yeah, not, never the two seam breaking ball that Barrios has. For Barrios, my worry or whatever is worried in the short term. Yes, in the long term, no. I think by the end of 2020, he will have it figured out. He will be back to number two pitcher Jose Barrios that we've seen throughout the years. Nothing better, but I think he'll be he'll be all right. But short term, I think he'll have a few more bad starts. I don't think he's going to fix it immediately. It's going to be another month, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. You know, give or take a week, but it's going to be not great for him. But by the end of the year, I am slightly confident he will pick it up. I'm trying to be confident, man. I can't. Jose Bruce has shown nothing this year, but last year he was great. So I think by the end of the year, he will be back to that. But, man, in the short term, no. Yeah, just attack hitters, Jose. Just right. come at him. It's... Throw strikes. Don't try to be perfect. Stuff is nasty. Just let, let your stuff play. And that's where I want to see Jose get to. And I think he'll get to there. And so that's why, at least with Jose, um, whatever. Sure. He is the most confusing player and most conflicted player on this roster, in, for me anyway. And it's just, I'd love to see him pick it up. But yeah, moving on to Josh Donaldson, whose injury has maybe gotten worse, or we just never knew the full extent of it. He had a calf injury, I think, was it just like 10 games in the season or so? I might be wrong on that, but... A few days ago, Derek Falvey said, I don't have any specific return timeline. We're going to be cautious. We're going to be careful. And when I hear that, I think we're not going to see Josh Donaldson until maybe a couple weeks before the playoffs or, you know, maybe a little before that. But I don't think we're going to see Donaldson for a while. And I am worried about his injury. He's had it throughout his career. And it's not looking like we're going to see it, see him back anytime soon here. Absolutely. And I'm just going to say, too, I was, I was thinking about this today when I was, I was watching the game. Is, man, I miss seeing Josh Donaldson out there. Sure. Just the edge he brings, sort of the, you know, quote-unquote, red-ass you know, mentality that he brings to the club. You miss that presence. There's definitely, I'm definitely worried about the injury and, and how long he's going to be out and when does he come back and how long will it take him to kind of ramp back up and, and be ready for postseason ball. Uh, but he is a veteran. He's been doing this for a long time, so I think he can figure it out. So overall, right now on Donaldson, it's kind of a whatever. The team is minus that four-game stretch against getting swept by Kansas City and that loss to Pittsburgh. Overall, the team is still playing well. Marwin's been been swinging a hot bat. He's been filling in really well at third base. So there's not a lot of concern. I'm not overly worried. I just obviously I want to see him back, but just get healthy, get him back on the field, and Josh Donaldson's going to be Josh Donaldson. So I'm not overly worried about him, and then I'm just going to put this in the whatever category. Yeah, I'm not worried about the team. I'm worried about him and how long he's going to be out. I, at first, I thought it'd be a couple weeks at most, but now it's looking like it's going to be much more. So, yeah, I don't know. He's If anyone's going to be back as soon as they possibly can, it'll be him. I think he takes the rehab very seriously, and when he can be back, he will be. So Donaldson... I'm in the same boat as you, I suppose, whatever on the team, but worried about the length. Moving on to our third player here, Luis Arise. And uh, Luis Arise, he's been a bit of a sophomore slump. He seems to be adjusting a bit now. I am not worried about him. He has gone six for his last 11. He's finally hitting the holes again, and his expected batting average was always has been higher than his real batting average this season. He just... He's been hitting the ball too hard, actually, because his exit velocity went up, but his batting average went down. He's just, instead of hitting it in front of the center fielder, he's hitting it to him this year. 
So he's got to he's got to settle down on that part. Absolutely, I'm kind of right there with you. I think uh, maybe a week or two ago, if we had talked about Luis Arise, it may have been a little more on the worried spectrum. You know, kind of this this idea of what's called you know the sophomore slump. You know, he came out last year in his rookie year and he hit really well. And the expectations going into it probably unfairly to Luis Arise was, hey, this guy is going to hit 400, right? Which is kind of ridiculous if you think about it. But Luis Arise, I think he's going to finish the year hitting around 300. And that's just kind of where he is. I guess the one concern for me is the amount of multi-strikeout games that he's had. That wasn't something we saw a lot in 2019. So if he can just get that under control and cut down the strikeouts a little bit, he's going to be the Luis Arise that we all kind of expected, not the 400 hitter that people put expectations on him for no reason. Yeah, he's he's certainly not a Donovan Solano. (laughs) Or Charlie Blackman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, again, not worried about Luis Arise. He's definitely a whatever for me. I think he's going to get it going. He got a slow start. It's just the biggest thing is, you know, I just want to see him cut down the strikeouts overall and, and where we're at in baseball today. Strikeouts aren't a huge issue, but if you're a hitter like Luis Arise, who doesn't necessarily pack a lot of punch with the bat, you don't want to see strikeouts. You know, you want to see him put the ball in play and kind of spray it. So just. The only thing concerned about again with him is is the multi strikeout games. If you can cut that down, focus on putting the ball in play, draw a little more walks, which he certainly has been doing as of late. So yeah, Luis Arise is definitely a, word, a whatever for me. Yeah, I think he'll finish around three hundred. I think yearly he'll be competing for the batting title. That might still be, you know, um, high too high of expectations, but he's got the tools. His swinging strike percentage, to put it statistically, did jump from. 2.8 all the way to 3.4 so there is some worry there for sure now he's even he's doing fine it, his strikeouts have increased he's been swinging a lot more out of the zone on two strikes than we saw him last year but he's adjusting pitchers learn how to throw to him a bit more because he was a rookie last season so he's got to adjust to the adjustments and he should be just fine i think he's as as i said he's six for his last 11 showing he can do that and i think he'll finish around 300 like you said so Rios, we are. I am more worried than you, Donaldson. We're kind of whatever on. We kind of know what's going on there now. But Arise, whatever. I think he's going to pick it up. So that's a weekly segment of worried or whatever. And you good to move on? Let's move on. All right, sweet. The last topic we have today will be the trade market and just kind of what we expect will happen this year. It's going to be trade deadline still the thirty first. I think correct. It's always yeah, August thirty first. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be the same as a long season. Just teams get like two months to decide what they want to do this year. And I, my thoughts on it, I don't think anything will really happen. I don't think any big names will be moved. Maybe a small starting pitcher name like Martin Perez, who's pitching really well for Boston. And they're the worst team you've ever seen ever this year for some reason. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on there, but... No, it'll be smaller moves like that. I don't think anyone huge is going to be moved just because teams can't really scout prospects this year as much. So I don't know if they're going to want to take that huge risk. Maybe a one-year deal guy, but no one like I don't know what happened last year. Was there any big names last year that got moved? Trevor Bauer. Trevor, yeah, sure. Zach someone Nagy. who right, someone who's just on a longer contract. I I don't expect them to be moved this year. Whit Merrifield type. Right, and I'm right there with you. I think the trade market this year is going to be kind of dull. There may be some marginal pieces moved. 
just in the point that you brought up of not being able to scout prospects, I think that's a big part of it. You know, especially in the modern day, we, we don't really see a lot of big league talent being traded for other big league talent. It's typically you know, big league talent being traded from a losing team to a winning team for prospects. And it's hard to evaluate prospects right now with there being no minor league season. Uh, one name that I think is, is interesting, I don't know if they'll move this year, but it is Johnny Cueto. He oh hasn't thrown the ball well. He did <laughs> throw well against the A's. But what, like what you talked on with his long-term contract, it's really hard to take on that contract when you're only really going to get a month out of him in 2020. And then you have those extra two years in the contract. So if anything, it's going to just be kind of marginal pieces that are moved. It, you're not going to see any kind of blockbuster trades. And the other portion of it, too, is with the amount of teams that make the postseason in 2020, there's so many teams that are in it. And it, it's hard. It's kind of hard to say, oh, this team's for sure going to be a seller. The only like, for sure sellers off the top of my head would be what the Giants and the Red Sox at this point. <laughs> yeah, and everyone – Andrew has texted me about Johnny Cueto every day for like the past two months. So, uh, no, <laughs> like last two days. So he really wants the twins to have Johnny Cueto, but it's yeah, on the you. contract though. Right. It sucks. But yeah, um, I was actually going to bring that up too. I just forgot the 16 teams making the playoffs. Like the last place angels could be like, Oh, well, all we have to do is win six in a row and we're right back in it here. We got Mike Trout. Like then they won't sell their piece or whatever, but yeah, and it's gonna be weird. The, you bring up the Angels, like a good piece to Dylan Bundy. I mean, out of nowhere, the right. guy's throwing the ball really well for the Angels. So maybe a guy like Dylan Bundy could be moved. But for your casual baseball fan who only follows the Twins, do you really know who Dylan Bundy is? Yeah, and he's exactly the type of guy that I would expect to be moved this year. Him, you know, a bunch of the Royals relievers who they just signed, like uh, Holland and the Rosenthal. They just picked these guys up for one year, and now they're gonna be able to get good pieces out of them. But yeah, just guys that are good pieces that can fit in your bullpen and rotation, but nothing that'll be an absolute game changer. And one question I do have for you that we didn't really write down, but um, if you're the Twins, do you make a move for a starting pitcher? That's a tough one right now. Because with the uncertainty of Hill's health and, and Bailey's health, it, yes, like right now they need another starting pitcher. But when Hill and Bailey get back, I don't think that needs really there. Okay, yeah. And that's what makes it just so difficult from the Twins evaluating, like, do we add to our rotation? Because when you've got Maeda, Odorizzi throwing the ball well, Dobnak doing his thing, you've got Barrios, still a pretty solid four. Hill's going to be healthy at some point. You, you, have, you already have five quality pitchers in your rotation. Yeah, and I don't expect them at all to go get, like, a big number one or anything, like a Trevor Bauer type, but exactly. There's no one really out there, I think, is that what you are going to say? Basically, yeah. I mean, Trevor Bauer is another really interesting name on the trade market. I mean, the the Reds, they have a lot of pieces. I think they can be really good, and with this expanded playoff thing, the Reds probably are going to sneak in. They they are a good team. I don't see Bauer being available. Now, right. Bauer's available, and you're the Twins. Like, go get Trevor Bauer. <laughs> I just don't think he's going to be available. Yeah, and the Twins would be a team I would expect to, if they want to acquire a starter, if Hill, and we'll talk about this much more over the next three weeks before, oh, geez, it's the 16th, next two weeks <laughs> before the deadline. But, yeah, they'd be the exact type of team I would expect to go land a Bundy slash Perez type if Hill and Bailey aren't looking like they'll be ready for the postseason or anything, which which they should be. I mean, Hill's supposed to be back in a few days here, but you never know with his health. He's hurt a lot. 
What do you think the Indians do with Mike Clevenger? Do you think they they look to trade him after the whole situation with uh, him and Plezak and the COVID? I think the Indians so desperately want to lose. I think their owner wants to lose more than any other person in America wants their team to lose. It's that insane. sounds like that sounds like the plot of Major League. <laughs> yeah. So what what I expect is they'll hold him down there for twenty days, get the extra year of service time, absolutely just piss him off. Like Clevenger will be just be super mad about it. Like why wouldn't he be? Because that would suck. I mean, I don't blame him. He did something stupid, but it would suck to have that extra year of service time added. Then they will trade him and Plesak and get much more value because they have an extra year on their contract, and then they will rebuild. And I'm looking forward to that day in which the Indians just give up because their owner does not want to win, and it's hilarious. Yeah, I think I think Clevenger could be an interesting trade piece. I'm looking at his contract right now. He has, after, after 2020, he's signed through 2022 with his two arbitration years. So there is a lot of value there. He's a good pitcher. He's under club control for two more years at a relatively affordable price. He's not locked into a mega deal like Johnny Cueto making $21 million a year. <laughs> so he could be interesting. I think that they, I wouldn't be surprised if the Indians do look to trade Mike Clevenger, especially after you know what had happened with him and Plezak. Yeah, I don't think they can do it this year because they're going to be – I mean, there's, they're probably going to be a playoff team. I don't think they can – they traded Bauer last year, but they got major league talents. I mean, unless they think they can do that again this year, but I don't expect them to because they want to lose. They like it's really weird. The owners like I, I want. I'm not signing Lindor. We're trading all these guys. I don't want to win. So I, I don't expect them to trade Clevenger this year because they're going to be a playoff team. But in the off season, I expect them to at least look look for it. Him and Plesac and other pieces when Lindor is going to be gone soon. They won't be nearly as good of a team, and I'm looking forward to that day. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> let, the, let the Twins reign dominant on the AL Central. <laughs> yes. Twins and White Sox. That's much more fun than Twins Indians. It's it is. Close. I mean, I guess this is a, a Twins podcast, and not many people have sympathy for this, but do feel kind <laughs> of bad for Indians fans. you got a guy like Frankie Lindor, and your team's just not going to be able to keep him. No, because they don't. Their team doesn't even want to, which is right. Man, it's like one, of the, one of the top five best players in the game. Right, he's right. Yeah. He's in the category with Buxton too for like most exciting as well. Like, right, a guy like Rendon is top five and ten, but he's not nearly as exciting as a guy like Lindor. Like, he's just someone you want on your team, but not if you're the Cleveland owner. And it's hilarious. <laughs> it's sad. It is sad, but as a division rival. I will not. I mean, I like watching Lindor play, but I'd rather watch him play for the Cincinnati Reds or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably end up on the Yankees. But you got any more thoughts on the market here, or should we wrap it up? No, I'm not on the trade market. I guess one one other thing I kind of want to throw out there is just strictly off the eye test. I've been very impressed with Jorge Polanco and the way he's played defense this year. Uh, last year, you know, I'd always just kind of hold my breath when a ball hit the shortstop. And it just, again, without looking at any advanced defensive numbers, just going off the old school eye test, Jorge Polanco is a much improved defender at shortstop, and it's been it's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, if I told you the eye test of watching Marwin Gonzalez, Jorge Polanco, Luis Arise, and Miguel Sano in the infield would look good, I don't. It'd be beginning of the season. I don't think you believe me, but right now, all four of them are looking all right. Sano has improved a little. I mean. He hasn't had to do much as catch a ball at first base. He's made all the <laughs> catches, so but Arias, he's like look good at that bare hand double play. Polanco has made some great plays in the hole and Marwin's great wherever he goes. I love Marwin. So the yeah, infield double, defense is solid all around. 
It is. That double play they turned today with the uh, Polanco right. on a rise with the bare hand. And, the, yeah, that was beautiful. And, yeah, it's just been nice to see Polanco just step it up a little bit defensively and kind of no longer be a liability almost. Just an absolute problem over there. I think he was, like, last in defensive run saved last year or something. So, right. so <laughs> anything better than last is an improvement. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's doing well. Just don't be last, Jorge. Right. Yeah. Don't be the absolute worst over there and you'll be fine. Also, good on, on him. On Jorge, while we're talking about this, the guy, he's a brilliant hitter. His, his bat to ball skills sure. are great. His hit tools there. But this he takes some of the ugliest swings I've ever seen. <laughs> Absolutely. He'll fall over every like fifth at bat, too. He'll take a swing in the left hand batter's box and he's on the ground. Like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, this is a major league hitter. This is a very <laughs> good major league hitter. Like, he can hit 300. Swing. Right. Yeah. He'll, hit, he'll hit 280, but he'll be on the ground every fifth at bat. It's great. It's, it's great fun. It's yeah. I don't know what's going on, but hey, it works for him. So he had the squeeze bunt today. Jorge Polanco's a weird dude. Speaking <laughs> of which, all right, how do you feel about that in that situation? Doing the squeeze bunt. You're up three to two. You got a guy on third. You got bullpen of Romo, Rogers, Duffy, two run lead. Yeah, I, it's fine by me. With although you got Polanco and Cruz up, I don't love Just it. Swing the bat. I don't. I mean, I don't love it. I don't hate it. They ended up winning it's a two-run lead and maybe do you think it was given as a sign or do you think he just did it that it was given i mean i think that's the whole reason too why they they brought avila out and they yeah that's the true runner yeah. is i think rocco had that planned yeah and it worked out so it's hard to argue against it and say oh they you know he shouldn't have done it just i mean like we just talked about polanco is a good hitter and the infield's drawn in there's a lot of holes for him to get a ball through just let him swing away, and then you get to the heart of your lineup after. The, I think there was a runner on second as well. So it yeah, worked. But, so I like the fact that they get, I like right. it in the sense that, hey, it worked. But just in general, I don't think it was necessary. Oh, yeah. If he popped up to the third baseman, I would, that would have been a 30-minute segment on today's show of why Rocco Baldelli needs to be fired. But <laughs> <laughs> since it worked, I'm not complaining. It was It's fun every you know, twice a season, I guess, is interesting to see. And Taylor Rogers and Sergio Romo came in and made the Royals mad. So <laughs> exactly. I'm not mad at it. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I mean, you all good there? You got anything else to talk about? Or you think we should? I think we're good. I uh, think we're good to go. Awesome. Me too. So you want to promote anything you wrote this week? Or well, I think only thing I wrote was just the game recap. Game recap. Sorry, oh, okay. no, yeah, nothing a lot going on there. Sure, sure. Something I was going to bring up we could discuss. I've got it coming out on the Twinkie Town website, but maybe we'll discuss it next week. Is Should Brian Dozier be a Twins Hall of Famer? And I argued yes. So we don't have to talk about that this week because we're at our 45 mark, but I wrote all about that. So check that out tomorrow. You should do a Twitter poll. We can talk about it. Yeah, I will. I'll have to put it up after it's been out for a while. But yeah, next week. So see you next week when we talk about that, perhaps. We might not even do it. Who knows? But have a good night. Have a good night. Thank you.